Welcome to Good Medicine Explained. I'm your host, Dr. James R. Brown. This is episode number 12 for the week of August 23rd, 2020. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my explanations of various health disorders and medical conditions. My goal through these podcasts is to provide listeners with some new insights and knowledge about how our bodies function and then allow you to cultivate a lifestyle that optimizes your well-being. Several times every year, I have a patient who is faced with a medical dilemma. Should I have genetic testing done? It may be a close family member who's recently diagnosed with a breast cancer or pancreatic cancer or some other debilitating condition like Alzheimer's disease. People want to know what might lie ahead in their lives, and more importantly, is there something they can do early before it gets out of hand? I will never forget the very first lecture I attended at the University of Michigan Medical School. It was given by Dr. Francis S. Collins, MD, PhD, Professor of Human Genetics. As he jokingly told my medical school class, the first rule of genetics is choose your parents. In 1989, the National Center for Human Genome Research was established in the United States. The first director of that program was Dr. James D. Watson, who co-discovered the double helix structure of DNA with Dr. Francis Crick in 1953. Years later, April the 4th, 1993, Dr. Collins from the University of Michigan, who lectured to my medical school class, became the director of the Human Genome Research Project. On June 26, 2000, an announcement to the world of epic proportion in science and human health was made by Dr. Collins and his biochemist geneticist partner, Dr. J. Craig Venter, that the Human Genome Project had identified all the genes in human DNA, some 20 to 25,000 genes. The actual final sequencing of the human genome was completed on April the 14th, 2003. This discovery is comparable to Neil Armstrong's Walking on the Moon in 1969. With this gigantic revelation, human medicine would take on a new era of knowledge and advancements. For many years, we've been more familiar with genetic testing than you may realize. Take, for instance, prenatal screenings or carrier screening assessments. In those situations, chromosomal testing or DNA sequencing is done on individuals who come from an at-risk population for autosomal recessive conditions, things like Tay-Sachs disease or sickle cell disease 
or cystic fibrosis. Genetic testing for carrier status is considered to be a class 2 medical device by the FDA, and therefore it doesn't require any type of approval. Or consider couples doing fertility and pre-implantation testing. There are opportunities to assess the embryos for implantation in the uterus that are free of genotypes known to cause disease simply by making a fetal DNA sequence or chromosomal identification of specific disease-causing variants. Or how about newborn screening tests? As a public health service, newborn babies receive screening tests designed to make early identification of children born with disease-associated genotypes for a variety of genetic and metabolic disorders, such as phenylketonuria, or PKU, cystic fibrosis again, or hypothyroidism, or congenital adrenal hyperplasia, to name a few. However, the most popular form of genetic testing done today is being done through commercial services for ancestry quests. There are what we call direct-to-consumer testing, or DTC, systems for marketing directly to people who wish to learn about their racial and ethnic backgrounds. There are home kits that can be done at home, swabbing your mouth or taking saliva samples for doing these genealogy and ancestry DNA kits. A couple of the more common known ones are Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, MyHeritage, Living DNA, GPS Origins, and Home DNA. These all report on ethnicity. Some will show maps where ancestors lived, along with information about particular countries and regions. Ancestry DNA is the oldest and best established company for genealogical DNA testing and has many family trees that you can link to online. MyHeritage has a large international customer database. They cover over 1,000 geographic regions in the world. But how do they do it? How can they tell you who your ancestors were? Well, for many centuries, massive human travel and migration weren't as common as they are today. And people from the same region of the world tended to share similar DNA compared with people from more distant locations. As a result, this has become known as the haplogroup. There are three different types of DNA tests that are available on the market. Autosomal DNA testing, mitochondrial DNA testing, 
and why DNA testing. The big commercial systems typically use the autosomal DNA tests, which trace autosomal chromosomes, meaning not your sex chromosomes. And these cells contain segments of DNA with everyone an individual has inherited genes from. Autosomal DNA tests can confirm your ethnicity and close relationships with a fairly high level of accuracy, but they don't include any information about your haplogroup. On the other side, mitochondrial DNA tests track the matrilineal genetic line through the mother's mitochondria, which is passed from mothers to their children. Since everyone has mitochondria, both males and females can take this test. Because mitochondrial DNA does not change as rapidly as nuclear DNA, it leaves a cleaner record of distant maternal ancestry. Many of the programs that use mitochondrial DNA can go back four to five generations pretty easily, some as far as ten generations in your pedigree. And it doesn't tell you how closely you're related to your mitochondrial DNA matches. And then last, there's the Y DNA testing. This uncovers a male's patrilineal Y chromosome haplogroup. Each son receives DNA from the Y chromosome of his father. Men are XY and women are XX. So for men, the Y gene is passed virtually unchanged from father to son. This DNA is identical to the father and not mixed with the mother's. Therefore, only males are able to take the Y DNA test. A mutation in the Y chromosome is estimated to occur once every 500 generations. The accuracy and interpretation of these tests, therefore, is quite variable. Now, in genetic testing or ancestral testing, it's very important to be aware of unanticipated findings. People should be aware about the potential for identifying secondary findings prior to undergoing genetic testing. For example, a previously unidentified person who was the product of a brief or indiscriminate relationship or adoption might turn out. When it comes to doing genetic testing for diseases, there's also direct-to-consumer tests for pathogenic variants in diseased genes. There should be concern, just like for the uh, ancestral gene testing, for the accuracy and interpretation of these results. Sometimes secondary findings from genomic testing is unmasked, and not every gene discovered is bound to be expressed.
Secondary findings is actually a term we use to describe genetic variants that are unrelated to the original reason genetic testing was ordered. It's estimated that up to 1% of the general population has a pathogenic variant that may lead to a change in medical management. Patients should be informed about the potential for identifying secondary findings on genetic testing prior to doing the tests. If a person is seeking to investigate possible inherited genetic diseases, we recommend that such a person or family do pretest counseling with a genetic counselor, preferably someone who is a member of the National Society of Genetic Counselors. A healthy discussion with all the stakeholders should include the patient's clinical status, their personal values, and stated preferences. For ethical reasons, such individuals should be provided with an opt-out option for disclosure of any secondary findings. Disclosure of secondary findings from genomic testing involves informing the patient that the findings are present, counsel them regarding the clinical implications of the result, and discuss whether additional intervention is needed. The future of medicine, I believe, lies in the crossroads between the genetics of individuals and the medical discoveries that are ongoing right now. This is being identified as personalized medicine. Personalized medicine incorporates an individual's genetic data as well as clinical and environmental and lifestyle factors to assess a person's individual health risks and tailor or guide the physician for prevention and disease management strategies. Potential benefits of personalized medicine include such things as pharmacogenetic biomarkers, that is, markers of genetic inheritance and expression that are available currently for over 70 drugs at this time. Primarily, these are based on variations among individuals in their liver in a system called the cytochrome metabolizing activity. There are certain individuals who possess and express genes that will process medications or not process them depending on what variety of cytochrome activity they have. There's also the potential benefit from personalized medicine for customized treatment plans with targeted selection of medications to optimize positive responses and reduce toxicity and expense. Again, for example, in the field of breast cancer research, we have learned that a variety of different 
treatment options, be it chemotherapy, radiation, or a combination, are actually more appropriate for certain genetic types than others. And there's not really a one-size-fits-all kind of process. And lastly, the potential benefits of personalized medicine can be tailored to the lifestyle and recommendations for reduced disease of an individual. So, this is a brief episode, but what's the take-home message here? Primarily, despite the advances that are being made through human genetics, we all have to work with the material we were given. There's no such thing as choose your parents. Eventually, we will come to realize that we all belong to the same family. If this particular topic or any of the previous episodes have provoked questions for you, be reassured that I do regular Q&As on my Instagram account at jrbrownmd, where you may submit your questions there through direct messages. However, I emphasize that I do not serve as a replacement or substitute for your own personal physicians, nor do I provide individualized consultations outside of my practice. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank my podcast team, Lauren and Natalie, who really are responsible for making this podcast possible. I'd also like to strongly encourage any listeners out there who haven't registered to vote yet, please do so this week. The new healthcare model for America depends on the vote you cast on November the 3rd. Until our next opportunity, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be loved, and may you have a peaceful heart. Thank you.